right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Running Into the Fog, Close the Distance and live stream format style. Uh, we are really excited you're here. Eric, how are you today? I am doing just fine, Derek. And you? I'm doing really good. It's hot, hot AF here in Wisconsin, um, at least in terms of Wisconsin uh, temperatures. We'll talk about that uh, maybe in the, the non-family uh, side of the show in the second half a little bit more. Um, we are recording and live streaming episode 40 of Running Into the Fog today, and that feels like a milestone we should celebrate for a second. And uh, another thing we should celebrate for a second is the fact that we have one of our very own uh, treasured family members, team members of Aurora WDC on the line with us today as our guest, Emily Pillar. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to see you, Emily. You're hailing from Clearwater, Florida, outside of Tampa. Is that right? That's right. Where the temperatures are always hot. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you know, we we like to keep things fresh here, y'all, on running into the fog. And it was a podcast that we did a few weeks ago with a gentleman by the name of Mark Lay. And if any of you were on that episode, um, you heard about some of the vulnerability and the transparency and other things that Mark brought to forgiveness was a huge one uh, in his world, right? Emily, and the, I think that that podcast inspired you to say, well, you know, I, I think I've got elements of my story that maybe are worth hearing uh, and might be inspiring to uh, people around you, uh, both physically people around you, as well as you know, uh, theoretically an international audience of people tune into this now or into the future. And I think what, what makes your story so attractive to Eric and myself is that a big part of your story as a caregiver, you know, we were there once. Um, for those of you that don't know, Eric and I, uh, I, I call it, we became orphans. Um, I don't think you quite look at it that way, big brother, but I, <clears throat> I wasn't married and hitched at the time that our parents passed away as you were. So I, I see it as a bit of an orphan situation, but through all challenging times, you try to find the good and the, in the, in the not so good. And uh, you grow and you learn and you keep grinding and all that uh, can be really uh, educational. You know, the school of hard knocks, I know will be a theme that comes up today, uh, at least more than once. And uh, when our parents passed away, our dad passed away in 99, our mom in 01. And the, the reality is Eric and I had to be a little bit of a caregiver at times back in our mid-20s, right? And I think that that's uh, a part of your story, Emily, that you're both proud of. It's been challenging, no doubt, but uh, ultimately you walk away as a stronger person. And I, I think that that element to your story is something I really look forward to jamming on, particularly in this front half, the unthinkable element of running into the fog today. So you know, with that, why don't we get started? Tell us a little bit about your past and you know, how you became a caregiver at such a young age. Yeah. So um, what you said about my connection to a past guest on the podcast was correct. I think I'd say that what I connected with the most was um, this concept of finding answers to questions in unlikely places. Um, so yeah, that inspired me to reach out and say, I think I have something I want to share. But to dive into that, 
some of you may have seen the, the question that I shared on social media. What does caregiving, competitive intelligence, and this 30,000 foot view, um, the view from an airplane window, have in common? Um, simple answer to that is um, in the last five months of 2017, I had taken a total of 14 flights. Most of those flights were related to a traumatic event for me, and two of them uh, brought me to the big city of Madison, Wisconsin. They were both, both journeys are, have been foggy and were particularly foggy at the time um, in their own right, but we will dive into that a bit here. So to start at the beginning, um, there was an early morning in July of 2017, I was getting ready to go to work, I was getting ready to head to my cubicle. I was typically the first person in the office, so it was still dark outside. I got a phone call, said my dad had been in an accident in his log truck. He was like, he's a up with the sunrise kind of guy. Um, it was lucky that his Trailer wasn't loaded because it could have been worse if it was, but I got all these, you know, a few details about it that were, oh, he hit his head and um, he had been taken by ambulance to a hospital. So I'm left there like, okay, what does that mean? Um, I have to decide what to do, how to react to that. It's shocking, obviously. First thing I do is text my manager and I say, hey, this is what happened. I'm, I'm definitely gonna be late, but I don't know, you know exactly what the next steps for me are. So I'm sitting there and the first thing I do is pray. That's something that I do to help me make decisions. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out what are the questions that I need to answer to decide how serious this is and how I respond to it? Um, and the information I had so far was really hard to go on, right? It was like, okay, he hit his head, but what does that mean? And I'm not, a, I'm not um, a neurologist. I'm not, you know, a, a doctor. I might have like basic medical, um, you know, know-how, but, or, you know, information, but I don't know what to do with that. Luckily, a family member, it didn't take long before one family member in particular reached out to me and just was super direct and said, this is serious. You need to get here now. And I was like, thank you, because I finally had the information that I needed to make the decision. And I was, I think, 25 at the time, going on 26, a few, a few months away from that. And uh, so as you can imagine, I hadn't been through this type of situation before. If any of you have been through it, you know, especially the first time it happens, it's really hard to know what's serious enough to just drop everything and go. Um, it's also, you know, and if someone, if, if a loved one is passing away, it's sometimes hard to predict that. You just don't know when to drop everything and go. It's a hard decision to make. And, um, so I was really thankful for that information from a family member that actually helped me make the decision versus all these, you know, disparate details about the accident um, and so on. So in a, in a, essentially a moment's notice, I'm 
booking a flight from Tampa to Atlanta. I'm hopping on. I'm, I'm talking to my sister about how she can get there, what time I'm going to get there, um, how I'm going to get from the airport to the hospital, which was like an hour and a half away. So I'm like booking a, a van ride, <laughs> a shuttle from the airport to from Atlanta to Macon and then, you know, arranging someone to pick me up in, uh, in Macon once I got there. I arrive and, you know, I see my dad and he's hooked up to all these tubes. It's super swollen. Um, they're doing all these tests and things. We don't really have any answers yet. So I'm just trying to get a lay of the land, um, trying to understand what we're dealing with, how do I need to act and, and, and all of those things. Anyways, we eventually get some answers, of course, and we find out my dad had a massive stroke. He had a traumatic brain injury. He's got punctured lungs, broken ribs, all these different, you know, a laundry list of, of injuries, of course. Um, and I think it's important to note that my dad doesn't have a spouse. And so my sister and I are his next of kin. He was in a coma and, you know, requires other people to sort of step in and be an advocate for them. And in this situation, it's, it's my sister and I who are the ones who need to step up to the plate. If you don't have a family member there, doctors will make the decisions alone. But I know my dad, I know his medical history. I know, you know, certain things about him that make me well equipped to advocate for him and, and maybe even better equipped to advocate for certain things um, than people who don't know him at all. So this big responsibility kind of automatically falls on the shoulders of my sister and I. And it starts this journey of a never-ending just chasm of new, new decisions that we have to make that we don't know anything about. Um, so it's researching just nonstop everything we have to do. And there's multiple decisions on a daily basis. It's very important to be in the hospital on a daily basis, really early in the morning, because that's when physicians make their rounds. And that's when you can ask questions. That's when you can get the notes down. What's really tough about the healthcare system. If any of you, if you, any of you have experienced this, and I, I don't know about Canada or, you know, in other places, but in the U S um, there can be a really big disconnect between healthcare providers because you know they might you might have the same uh, physician that's rounding for like four days in a row and then there's a new one. Um, they're also putting in orders all day long to different specialists that have to come by and take different tests or, or do different procedures. And it's sometimes people walk into a room without even reading a medical chart. We had a, a big neurologist come in and say. At this point, we don't think your dad has had a stroke. And it was like four days in and we had already been told he had a massive stroke. And we literally had an, a neurologist say that he didn't read the chart. He simply didn't read the chart before walking in the room. Um, that was a huge eye opener for me. The whole situation was um, to the need for advocacy through a healthcare journey in general, but especially a healthcare journey of this level. So 
my dad's in a coma. He needs all these surgeries. It, you know, it's serious stuff. We don't know if his brain's going to stop swelling, all these things. All I can do is take notes, gather data, you know, kind of uh, verify uh, what doctors are saying, make sure that people uh, have read the chart. If they haven't read the chart, I am able to speak up um, if I hear something that's like not exactly up to date or incorrect or whatever, but it's crazy how often that happens. Um, long story short, my dad's on this journey. He's going to make it. He, you know, we have a lot of procedures to, to get done and a long way to go, but we're just taking it day by day, researching everything as it comes. Um, and we've started to identify like how we need to be there, um, what we need to do to advocate effectively. You know, we're, we're forming our um, understanding of how to drive decisions forward in this atmosphere. So um, how that relates to my travel to uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Let's see. So from July to um, September, you know, fast forward to September, I started an interview process with a, a little company called Aurora WDC. Some of you guys might be familiar with it. I saw a few attendees that um, this might be your first time interacting with Aurora, but that's where we all come from. Eric started the company. Derek is the CEO now. Um, great leaders. But anyways, I'm interviewing with Aurora WDC for this position in competitive intelligence um, a position as an intelligence analyst, which is something that um, I haven't done outright in the past. So I had a lot of experience that related to the role, but I hadn't done that exactly in the past. So of course, before I took the leap to apply an interview, I had a million questions and um, decided to proceed. And, and I'm very thankful that that someone saw the potential in me to um, explore this career opportunity. Shout out to Wendy Smart, if she's on the line. Forever grateful for that and for the opportunity that you guys um, you know, opened up to me. But I start this interview process. I, at this time, I'm flying back and forth um, every other week, it feels like, from Tampa to Atlanta. Um, because to, my sister and I are taking turns, um, covering my, you know, my dad's healthcare journey and there's big surgeries and things. There were a lot of challenging times in that. I, one thing I'd say is like, I had a manager that literally said to me, you don't need to be there. Doctors have to treat him. Um, you don't need to be there to sign papers. And, you know, being pretty young at the time, I knew that wasn't right, but I'd never had a manager say something like that to me before. So I was pretty timid in my response back, but I, you know, I spoke up and said, I need to be here that, you know, he's about to undergo a surgery that, you know, he could pass away. This is a risky thing, you know, there's nowhere else I would be. There's nowhere else, 
else that is worth it for me to be. Um, anyway, so there were so many different um, situations like that where I had to stand up and use my voice and um, really decide what my values were, what my convictions were, and act on those. But that just describes kind of like the, the period of time in my life where I started to embark on this potential new journey into competitive intelligence. And I'm, you know, lots of interviews, um, work product I'm sharing and things like that. And I, you know, in the end, I'm here, right? Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, five years later, right? When's your fifth anniversary, by the way? Yeah, must be right on now. It's coming up in October. Okay, I was going to say congratulations. If you can survive five years at Aurora, you're a pro uh, at that point. And it, frankly, if you've survived the interview process, you're a pro. Uh, but you know, it's so fun to hear what else was going on in your life at that time. And you know, as someone who follows your journey on Facebook pretty closely. Um, you and uh, Billy have been and your whole family have been in my prayers very often uh, as I've seen the the hurdles and how you have collectively leapt those hurdles and also the occasional setback, you know, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes one step forward, two steps back. And just what an inspiration that's been to see the love there between uh, you and your family and how, you know, that has really become the, the Emily that I know, you know, obviously I know you through your work to a certain extent here at Aurora and the work you do for our clients, but you know, what really impresses me is uh, what you've done in service to those that have been put in your path. And so, you know, I, I'm, I want, I wish I was flabbergasted at your manager telling you that, but Candidly, I'm not surprised. And from Aurora's standpoint, I'll say it's an advantage to us. Um, you know, I think that you would probably expect, as I would, if this happened to somebody, you know, that that was, you know, in your work group here at Aurora, my guess is the answer would be take as much time as you need. And from time to time, we've had to do that, you know, and, and we'll be fine without you. Come back when you're able. Uh, and even if you're not ready, you know, that's the thing about you know, finding your calling, I think. And maybe that's my question is, um, is intelligence your calling? And Emily, uh, what, what's it been like to sort of explore that? If you haven't yet discovered it and, you know, no, no personal, uh, you know, I won't take it personally if it's not. I love the freedom that you offered in that question, Eric. So thank, you. <laughs> thank you for all the kind words. Um, and the way that you and Derek and the rest of the Aurora family has supported my journey because it's really meaningful. Um, to answer that, you know, it's funny. I, having not known much about competitive intelligence before I jumped in, um, it was pretty wild to me how quickly I, you know, caught on and became so passionate about it. And it's interesting because as I got further and further in, I saw how my natural skills and abilities, the ways in which I think, the ways in which I operate, how those lended themselves to this, 
you know, exact place and time where I needed them. I can think back to like, I've been a strategic thinker all of my life. I, and like a program project manager all of my life. I can think back to like when I was a kid, um, really, really young age, like five years old. I used to, it's kind of a weird thing about me, but here it goes. <laughs> I used to think in my head about like, what would happen if I just like, I'm walking on a sidewalk and I just walk off the sidewalk real quick. Will that change my future? I used to mm. think about things like that um, all the time as a kid, you know, potential like alternative futures. Um, and what, how would my actions impact the future at five years old? I can think of, um, you know, being 12 years old and I come from a, a household that lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, single mom, you know, my dad was involved, but, um, you know, that was my reality. And a lot of times we would kind of run out of groceries toward, you know, it's getting closer to payday. We'd really run out of groceries. And I started to think about, well, I wonder how we could get more for less. And I, and I started like walking to the newspaper stand and I would buy a newspaper and I would clip coupons and I would make a list and I would say, mom, I, this is a list I made. I think this is what we should get. And that will, you know, help us last, you know, everything would last. Um, Sorry, that makes me a little emotional to think about awesome. that. Awesome. Um, Beautiful. The problem solving, the strategic thinking. Yeah. It was always there. Um, and my passion for um, supporting business and moving business forward and, and moving, making good decisions in business had always been there as well. I, before coming to Aurora, I sort of aspired to a path in marketing because of those passions that I had. But it's really crazy how... Um, the stars aligned. And I do feel that competitive intelligence is a calling for me. Um, okay. Particularly right now, who knows what the future holds, but I feel like I'm in the right place. Wow. That is so cool to hear. So the five-year anniversary at Aurora's, set that aside for a second. You've got a five-year anniversary of your dad's tragic accident coming yeah. up even sooner next month and uh you know i know there's people on this line i i know some of them by name and i'm some of them i don't know their story but i can assure you they're out there who are going through something like this right now and you gave them some tips emily on you know be at the hospital in the morning hours because that's when the docs make their rounds challenge a a renowned neurosurgeon when it's clear that he or she didn't read the chart. You know, you've given some tips like that, but what other tips do you have? You know, some of those unthinkable tips like, wow, I'd never knew this might happen in a hospital system as a caregiver. What, what do you have for this audience we have today? And, you know, when this gets recorded and put out there that you wish you knew five years ago Yeah. that you've learned through just the act of doing it. And you said something that I will take away for a long time after this podcast. What questions do I need to assess to know how to react? Yeah. Yeah. So you captured a few of them that are the biggest things that I'd share. Very key things. So number one is be there and pay attention. Keep notes, keep your own notes. Um, ask questions. Do not be afraid to ask questions. 
if you don't understand something that a provider is explaining, ask the question. I remember a situation where um, there was a resident doing rounds and she was so busy. I could tell she was so stressed and um, just doing the best that she could. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot about the experience of being a resident and that is a very stressful and, and, you know, stretching time in your life. But she was working so hard and um, cared a lot. She was talking about something and I said, hey, you know, you're commenting on these images and I didn't know that these images were taken. What, you know, what was the purpose for this imaging um, that hasn't been explained to me? I just want to understand as best I can. And you could tell she was in a hurry, but she, but it was, she needed to answer the question though. That's, you know, that's her responsibility. So I was glad that I spoke up in that situation and in others. It's not always the easiest thing to do. People are busy. They got to move to their next patient, all these things, but decide what's important and stand up for it. So take the notes, ask the questions. Um, another thing I would say that's really, really important is learn how to set boundaries um, for yourself, for your own sanity, for your own health and wellness. You know, you have to prioritize your own health, which can be very hard because you're going through a super emotional experience, first of all. Second of all, sometimes those, you know, the thing, the places where you have to step in are, it's very urgent. You just have to. And a lot of times you have to make yourself second. But as um, my dad started to recover, um, you know, his, his symptoms from his brain injury and things, were something I had to learn about and deal with. And I had to set boundaries around, but it was hard to he used to call me nonstop all day long. And that was a, you know, a product of something called uh, perseveration, which is where a person can get just stuck on one um, concept or, and, and a lot of times that deals with speech. Like you're repeating something, you're actually physically saying it. There's another term for your mind getting stuck on it as well but he would do both of that. He would just call me all day long and it was for, Emily, I need new socks or you know something like that. And I had to, at first I would just jump because there was a sense of feeling guilty that he had lost his independence, feeling guilty that he was a you know strong, hardworking man who was almost at retirement and he just lost his ability to do anything for himself. And I hated that. I, I thought about myself, you know, if I want something, I can just go get it on Amazon right now. I can go down to the store, you know, whatever, but he had lost his autonomy. And I, and I took that upon myself, but at a certain point I had to say, Hey dad, um, I've got that on the list. I'm going to be putting an order in on Friday. Um, if you think of anything else, let me know. I'm going to order it on Friday. It'll be you know, you'll get it in just a few days after that, but I'm, I have to work right now, or I have to eat dinner or I have, you know, um, you feel really bad for doing things for yourself as well. Um, I couldn't do anything for myself for so long because there was always just this long list that never ended of things that I needed to take care of for my dad. And some of them were really important things. And so that's hard. And you have to find ways to get yourself back too. 
So you have to build that in, um, in little places here and there. And for me, it was art, just doing one thing that I enjoyed again, that made me feel like myself. Like I'm going to take 20 minutes on Saturday to paint instead of spending the whole day or maybe an hour. And, you know, maybe you set it up for 20 minutes and you let yourself go for an hour, but it's just taking that step that matters instead of researching all day or making calls or whatever. I know we're getting to the, the middle point here, so I'll stop there. I, th I thought what Sarah Soriano put into the chat here, Sarah, thank you for this. You know, you, you talk about your own, you know, a little over decade long caregiving journey. If you're not taking the time to recover as a caregiver, you can't be at your best. Yeah. And not only will you not be at your best for the person you're caring for, you simply, you'll, you'll end up getting sick or you'll get so deteriorated that it's going to have an impact on you. And it's, it couldn't be a greater uh, concept that you put out there, Sarah. Thank you for that. Eric, you have something to scan here? Well, I do. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't scan it because you all have scanned all 20 of the co-apps that are available for Unthinkable. So uh, that's a big success, by the way. And thank you all who, who scanned and redeemed and minted your co-apps there. We haven't done that yet. Uh, and I'm pretty stoked about that. I didn't get my POAP for Unthinkable, by the way, which is kind of a shock. I was going to demo this uh, as we go. We'll do it during Unspeakable when we uh, say goodbye to the social streamers. But for those of you who have not yet registered, uh, go out to Open Recon and get registered for the bridge. Come back uh, and join us on the bridge as a named, known, uh, you know, attendee. Uh, and if you miss out on that, I guess uh, that sucks to be you. But um, <laughs> Emily, would you like to say goodbye to our uh, colleagues on the Russian botnets? Dasvidaniya, Rusiskaya, Sieparobotov. See you next time on Running Into the Fog uh, next Tuesday. But uh, Emily, any message for our social streamers before we cut them loose? Yeah, I'm just so grateful for everybody who tuned in. Great job on the participation and scanning the POAP. And I hope you've registered by now so you can join us in the second half of the segment too because there's more good stuff coming soon. Mm -hmm.